Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren, where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our last webinar on finding your way back, the series that we've been doing to introduce you to all of the amazing um, healing tenets that help restore and help us recover from trauma. So this is finding your way back to embodiment. This is the last of Flourish's five pillars of healing. And as you'll see, as we talk, they're all really interconnected. So if you're just watching this one on our podcast or YouTube or wherever you're watching, um, checking this out, you might want to go back and listen to the other ones. The first one is safety, finding your way back to safety. And then there's acceptance, beauty, compassion, slowing down, and then finally embodiment. So we're excited for you to check this out and just see this invitation to something that may feel really new and um, maybe different than what you've experienced before in the healing realm. So we're looking forward to it. And um, audio is off and video is off. So if you have any questions, um, just for recording purposes, but if you have any questions, just put them into the chat. And once we're through with the presentation, we can um, talk through those. So who are we? Um, if this is the first in the series that you're checking out, we're Luke and Lauren Smallcomb. We are a married couple. In like a week, we celebrate 16 years of marriage. And we have been in the helping field for a long time. Luke is a mental health practitioner and I'm a mind-body practitioner. And together we run Flourish Therapy, which is a, a global virtual trauma healing practice, trauma healing and brain retraining. So we'll tell you more about um, ourselves at the end. I just wanted to give you a little heads up of who we are. We live in Thailand. We see people from all over the world, but we, we live in Thailand, which we enjoy so much. And we have four children. We do enjoy this work, don't we? We do. Especially now that we get to do it together. It's, it's much more fun. It is more fun. <laughs> so who is this webinar for? Uh, so it's embodiment. So if you're struggling with maybe being feeling disconnected from yourself, um, unaware of what you want, a little access to your inner world, unable to get beyond your trauma, uh, you have to be busy. So you feel that pressure to keep moving, um, that sympathetic, uh, sympathetic energy, uh, pressuring your, your choices and your activities. Uh, this might be, this would be a good one. Um, webinar for you. If you're lacking that strong sense of self, your voice, your desires, your wants, um, and if you have poor mental or physical health, these are just kind of symptoms or signs of maybe that you're living in a disembodied life uh, at some level, um, and that there's maybe more to, to experience and offer that you, uh, yeah, that you can experience in this life. So here's our pillars, the tenets of Flourish Therapy. Uh, if you've listened to these before, then you've heard them, you're getting familiar with them. So it's, that's a good thing. But here's the picture of basically, we feel like we believe that the foundation of the nervous system regulation is safety. And off of a felt safety and experienced safety, if you're able to um, 
engage with and cultivate these, these pillars of acceptance, beauty, compassion, slowing down and embodiment that helps to cultivate an environment of for nervous system regulation. And if you haven't listened to the other ones that I talked about acceptance, beauty, compassion, slowing down, I really encourage you to check those out because um, these are very interdependent uh, pillars. They, they don't stand alone. They very much are supported by each other. It's true. And it's hard to, as we've been working through this and creating this content of what our paradigm is, it's been hard for us to figure out like, oh my goodness, but this one's so important. Oh, but this one's our favorite. Oh no, but then to have this one, you have to um, access this one. And it's just, it's it's so neat how um, just as, as we work as humans, these really healing uh, principles are so, uh, they feed each other and they support each other. And that's, that's just amazing. So I don't know which my favorite pillar is. I don't know if it's even possible to pull out one because at different times we need different healing supports too. Um, so embodiment, what are we talking about? What is this strange word? What do we mean by embodiment? And the simplest way we can explain embodiment is reconnecting back to the wisdom of your body. And we believe that the body holds great, great untapped wisdom that for many reasons that we will get into during this webinar, we lose access to the body. We lose access to that wisdom. And so becoming more embodied is tapping back into that wisdom and letting that wisdom be a guide uh, as we live and as we heal. Okay, so let's talk about some of the, what it looks like. Let's flesh this out a little bit. So these are elements of becoming more embodied and we just wanna communicate. Embodiment is more of a continuum um, with binary thinking, which, which a lot of our culture has. It's like you either are or you aren't, but that's not how embodiment works. It's more of something you experience on a continuum of how embodied are you or how disembodied are you? So as we are um, learning about embodiment, these are the things that we experience that show that we're more embodied, becoming more present. And the slowing down um, one we did last week, the slowing down webinar really helps us see what being more present feels like. And then the beauty pillar helps us also know the, the pleasurable part of being more present how we can enjoy beauty around us and how transformative that is for us. So becoming more present, connecting back to your intuition. And when we talked about safety uh, and neuroception, we talk a lot about that felt sense and that intuition that our bodies have to determine if something is safe or if something is threatening. And so connecting back into that intuition, because a lot of times, um, it can become impaired through many different experiences. Noticing how you experience relationships, events, and the experiences in your life. How, are, how is your body engaging with them? Being more in that, um, that situation so that you're more aware of, of what it is you're, what you are enjoying, what's hard, what's feeling unsafe, being more present, and that helps you know kind of how that 
that thing or that person you're engaging with that, what your body thinks about that. Being able to identify the state you're in. We talk a lot about nervous system regulation. It's, it is like the bread and butter of what we do at Flourish and knowing the state that you're in, the journey to become aware of your three primary um, nervous system states is a way that you practice embodiment and subsequently helps you be more embodied. So then also turning towards the inside to see how the inside and the outside are affecting you. So the sensations inside, um, you could say like the interoception and the extraception, how you are picking up and uh, engaging with through your senses, through your intuition, with things around you and things inside you, what emotions they may bring, be bringing up, what triggers you may be feeling, what responses you have to those things. And your internal and external world, worlds aligning is another aspect of embodiment, of who you are on the outside is a reflection of who you are on the inside. There's not this disjointed, fragmented self that you present to the world, but that who you are on the inside is actually um, in a very different place than what you are presenting to the world. And then that curious, open posture towards self, um, really walking away from those condemning, shame-filled cycles that we've used in the past to drive behavior or to, to help us become who we want to be, and really opening up this compassionate, which is pillar three, view of self, where our posture towards self is one of understanding and graciousness and kindness. And that is a a key part of embodiment is that posture with self. And just to summarize, like the last slide, uh, the simplest view of embodiment is reconnecting to the wisdom of your body. Our inner guidance comes to us through our feelings and body wisdom first, not through intellectual understanding. And that intellectual understanding is actually often the last thing when it comes to um, our knowing, how we know things. That intellectual piece is really the last to come. And there's so much more before that, that we often dismiss or invalidate, and we just focus on the intellectual part. And that's very much a part of Western culture. And um, it's honestly, it's easier to intellectualize than feel because intellectualizing and just using the cognition uh, Luke and I talk about this a lot, is just, uh, why is that easier, Luke? Why would you say that's so much easier for us? I think it's because we, uh, we're disembodied. <laughs> we don't have to engage with the inner experiences. We can reason it. We can also, it's what comes natural, uh, especially in the Western world, but um, it's also the tool that we've used most frequently to survive yeah um like we i hear a lot of people saying like i understand this but i just don't know how but it's not changing anything or i understand why we do this but i i don't know how to apply it or i don't know how to experience it and um our survival brain like there's a it's easier to live intellectually because again that's the tool we use it doesn't change anything because the, our nervous system doesn't work off of 
language. It actually doesn't connect to that part of our brain, this language. It's experiential. So um, we our nervous system and we can't, embodiment is so important because it gives our nervous system a new experience, which is what our nervous system is looking for. It only, it, it's called a mind mapping and it takes previous experiences and just predicts a present experience based on the previous experiences. But if we intellectualize like, okay, I'm safe. Okay, this is different. Your body's like, I don't care what you say. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm neurocepting. So this is how we're going to re to respond. Um, so embodiment bypasses the language and says, here's a new experience. Mm -hmm. And that's why embodiment is so important. Because um, it's not this through intellectual understanding. Our nervous system, we don't even talk to our nervous system through that intellectual understanding. It's only through embodiment, uh, creating safety, compassion is what creates that new experience that our nervous system then takes that information and says, oh, there's new options. There's different information. Let's put this into our mind map and for that predictable, that pre to predict what we need to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's why embodiment is so important and intellectualizing is part of the picture. Maybe that's the, like, that's the beginning of it, but that's not going to shift our nervous system. Yeah, yeah, you explained that, that really well. Um, all, it's all about that felt experience that we we have or we don't have and um i think the next slide is when you get into why we what what, what embodiment doesn't look like like what right. were more those patterns that we're more drawn to and i think this is going to be really helpful for people to make more sense of this yeah so what is the opposite of embodiment so we also need to remember like lauren said it's a continuum it's not like we are embodied or we're not embodied. And, and trauma gives us that binary thinking because again, our nervous systems want to go by what's familiar. And what's familiar is what's predictable and what's experienced in the past. So it's, and so that's why we had that binary thinking because uh, it's easier to work with. But we're talking more about patterns of embodiment right here, what is not. So patterns of embodiment, like this dissociation, we, we check out, we aren't present, we distract. So we're feeling these anxious emotions, we're feeling this hard time, we're feeling the stress, we just distract. Or maybe we're feeling hurt, we avoid it. Or we intellectualize it, we try to reason it, we try to understand it. Um, because we don't want to, we, we try to, understand the knowledge of it or the information of it rather than the experience of it. Uh, we suppress it. We, we go to the other extreme and just push it away, ignore it, pretend like nothing's happening, minimizing it, pretend like it's not a big deal. I know that was hurtful, but I mean, they didn't mean it or uh, I deserve it maybe, or who am I to, I, I don't, that experience of, I don't deserve better. So we just minimize it. Or we fight through it. We just push through it. And that's kind of like that ignoring, minimizing. We just push through. Yes, it hurts. Yes, I'm anxious, but I have to do these things anyways. And I have to ignore what these messages my body is giving me or resist. Now, trauma disconnects us from our bodies. That's the um, 
because it is hard. The things that we experience are hard. And again, those are continuums. So a lot of people I, I talk with are like, well, I know I experienced this, but other people experience this. And so it's not a big deal. And that's just not accurate. Our nervous system interprets it, the severity of it based on our experience, not based on the comparison of other people's stories. And if we have a hard time in that process, then we become disembodied. And we also, our nervous systems are driving us for survival. So how do we have relationship? And a lot of time we have, as a child, we are given a choice by our parents, have needs, um, have wants, and, but your parents not going to be in relationship with you because you're too, too needy, you're too difficult, you're inconvenient, and your parents can't uh, regulate themselves so you feel that tension. Or you can ignore those, those needs, but you have that relationship with your parent because they can handle the easiness of, of not having to attune to you. And so that is the beginning of that disembodiment. And so we have to disassociate from wanting that connection with our parents uh, to distract from that need or avoid intellectualize all those things. And so, but those are, our bodies are still store that and still hold those things. It's still hard. And so that, what we talked about last week of slowing down is sometimes we get uh, triggered or it's hard. And the reason for that is because our body remembers those hard things. Even if we've distracted ourselves, avoided, dissociated, our body remembers. So when we return to our body, we start, it can be scary and it can be hard and it can be reactivating, which is why we avoid it. We disassociate, we ignore those things because they're hard. And again, I want to also emphasize that, that, that they're patterns. Like, am I saying that after a hard day, you shouldn't watch a movie or you shouldn't go over to Netflix or you shouldn't uh, enjoy eating food because it's fun? No, we want to look at the, maybe the pattern, the frequency, the motivation for doing these things. Um, how, how often are we avoiding intellectualizing, dissociating all the, and this list? Because that's when we, again, the continuum of disembodied embodiment. We don't want to be in the stress and hard things of life all the time. It, it's, we do need to take breaks. I mean, that's why we have holidays. That's why we have vacations. That's why we have, we have fun things to do. So I don't want you to hear that, oh, wait, if I'm distracting myself, I'm bad or I'm disembodied. No, it's a continuum. And um, an important part of this is when we turn off those hard motions, when we start feeling that, those signals that our bodies are giving us um, as we try to be embodied and we feel triggered. When we turn those off, we don't just turn those off. It's not a switch of like, okay, turn hard emotions off, uh, good emotions on, uh, fun emotions on, and uh, sad emotions off. It doesn't work like that. We can't selectively numb emotions. When we numb the painful emotions, we also numb the positive emotions. And so think about that. Uh, that time when you have maybe numbed emotions, dissociated, distracted, minimized, how is it easy? How, how hard is it to then trans transition into like a fun time and like be present transition to 
hanging out with your friends, being with your family, and just being fully there, engaged and having fun. It's, it's nearly impossible, if not impossible, because you can't just, you're not segment, we're not segmented people. Um, even men, it's like there's a stereotype that we just have these boxes, that we can jump from one box to box, and that's not that easy, unless you're disembodied. If you're disembodied, you, I have my work, I have my family, but that's not embodied. So there's a difference. So that's not turning off good and turning on good and turning off bad, but that boxed, um, that, this, that uh, segmented living, um, that's disembodiment. That's an example of disembodiment. Does that make sense, Lauren? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it went kind of two different directions, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that analogy with the guys <laughs> isn't exactly helpful. It just popped <laughs> in my head as like, well, actually, like that's an example of disembodiment. Um, when we can, when people can be separated, like dis <laughs> like disconnect themselves from relationships and emotions and be segmented. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's not being a guy, and that's just the way our brains work. So I think just as guys they tend to live more segmented, disembodied lives. Mm. Um, yeah, especially culturally. Um, right. For us in Western culture, that seems to be almost the, the model right. that men are given. Um, yeah. So, so yes, we can't turn just turn off the hard and keep the good. We have to be embodied and engage with those hard so that we can fully engage with the beauty. Like going back to that, that, that webinar, beauty, why is it so hard to, to notice nature, to notice the wind on your skin, to notice the fun, to laugh? It's because we're disembodied. That's that idea of you can't turn off the heart without turning off the good. So this is a great quote by Hilary McBride, who's an amazing author and person in this world. That could sum up all of my years of clinical training and research in one statement, it would be this. We heal when we can be with what we feel. That's embodiment. That's not running away from the hard times, the hard feelings. That's going back to the analogy I've used so many times of the fire alarm. We interpret so much the anxiety, the depression, the hard emotions as bad, as threatening, as the enemy that we need to get rid of. But it's really just a signal saying there's something wrong. And so when we can be with that feeling we can then can have compassion and be curious, like what I was talking about earlier, and start healing, creating that safety. And we can heal and we can be with what we feel. So that's reconnecting to our body, being embodied, and, and going in opposition of the, what trauma has done to us, which is disconnecting us from our body. So what are the barriers to embodiment? So just being not aware that we are even disembodied not even having that language of like, this is my normal. This is what I do. What do you mean disembodied? Well, we don't know that we're disembodied. We don't know that we should be, that we can move towards embodiment. Being afraid. Like, like I said, when we, when our trauma doesn't get processed and gets hold in our, held in our bodies and we return to our bodies, our bodies remember. And that can be scary. There can be discomfort there. Maybe the discomfort is in that feeling, or maybe it's in, I don't know what to do next. I don't know, now that I notice these things, what I do? 
lacking the sense of self, uh, feeling powerless over these feelings, feeling powerless over healing, feeling powerless over the trauma, the, the anxiety. Like I've been, maybe it's, I've been dealing with it for decades. What do you mean I can now just, I can not experience this for the rest of my life? A lack of agency and voice. So not feeling like you have choice. And that can come from your childhood experience of, what do you mean I have a choice? What do you mean I've, I'm empowered? What do you mean it matters what I feel? No one's ever told me it matters. No one ever asked me how I feel. No one's ever said that I deserve better. It was never modeled. And we'll talk about this a little bit more, but our nervous systems, we, we inherit more than just our genes from our parents. We inherit the nervous system of our parents. So if they've never modeled embodiment, you don't know what embodiment looks like. And the lack of individuation. So again, the fact that I matter, the fact that I deserve something, the fact that I matter just as much as somebody else, or maybe in this moment, I matter more than somebody else. A lot of times trauma tells us that we don't matter. It's about pleasing other people. It's about helping other people. It's about serving other people. And we have to separate from that message from our maybe our family system or from our culture. It says that I have to give, 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 but also I have to be an individual and individuate and, and, prior, and care for myself. Being disembodied disconnects us from our needs, desires, voice, felt sense, and healthy ways of meeting our needs. This kind of just re-emphasizes what I've been just talking about, is when we're disembodied, we don't have access or even awareness to what we need, what we desire, to our voice, to our felt sense, and to the healthy ways of coping, of meeting our needs. And like you referenced in um, the last slide, embodiment is something that is either modeled to us or not modeled. So we like to say embodiment is caught, not taught um, in an environment, an environmental way. So not in a genetic way per se, but in an environmental way, you inherit your parents' nervous systems. So if you were never modeled embodiment, your nervous system never learned to mirror it. Being modeled a disembodied way of living through the relationship with your parents teaches you to become a disembodied person in an attempt to preserve relationship. And so um, when we're born, our nervous systems develop, they're very underdeveloped and they begin to develop in the presence of another nervous system and something called mirror neurons um, allow us to kind of mold into the nervous systems that we're around, which is kind of crazy if you think about how that works and a little bit sci-fi, but it's, it's more or less a blank slate and it shapes towards what it's looking at as if it was a mirror. Um, and so this is really, really great when the nervous systems around you live an integrated, embodied, regulated life. And that's then what you get to adopt as you mirror their nervous system. But so many of us haven't had that experience. And um, we go on to develop these disembodied um, ways of living in an effort to keep relationship, to lessen our needs, to lessen our voice, to, to go with the flow, to help, to accommodate the, 
stress and chaos and trauma of the home. And so that disembodiment continues to perpetuate as that's the model we've learned. That's the way we've learned to be in relationship with people. And so it's not like we just stop when we leave our family of origin. We continue those patterns of disembodiment in future relationships as well. And Vaughn, thank you. All of that is very good. I want to just emphasize, yes, when I said we inherit it, it is not a genetic inheritance of like genes. It's an environmental inherit inheriting. Although there is um, building research showing that our genes are impacted up to several generations from trauma. And so That's true. Um, it, it, isn't, it isn't a direct, okay, this is my parents' nervous system and this is mine through genes. That's more of the environmental part, but there is that evidence that even without experiencing trauma ourselves directly, genetically, it gets passed through in our, in our mental and physical health, which is just mind boggling. Yes. Um, so there are repercussions of not living embodied. There are many, many. So we're trying to capture here what this could look like for people to live embodied lives for years. Um, one of the big ones is trauma goes unhealed. Trauma cannot be healed in a space of disembodiment. It's just literally not uh, how trauma works. Trauma needs safety, embodiment, regulation, co-regulation. It needs things uh, that disembodiment can't offer. And people go on to develop chronic illness and pain when they're living this disconnected um, life because the body is going to find a way to communicate um, the, stored, the stored trauma. And it's gonna find a way to speak even when we're trying to disconnect and not feel what the realities our body holds. Um, there's a great book, When the Body Says No by Gabor Mate. And it's a brilliant compilation of all of the research on how chronic illness develops in the presence of emotional repression. And it is very, very compelling. Um, addiction is a big one. Addiction is an attempt to cope with the pain and the unbearable sensations of life through uh, an outlet, through a means to soothe that pain. Uh, addiction isn't a pleasure problem, it's a pain problem. It's when pain is so unbearable that you have to find a way to soothe. Uh, so that is a direct result of, of not being able to be in the body that you're in because it's too painful. Then, then anxiety and different types of anxiety disorders. Being unaware of your true self is just a consequence of not being connected to your true self. Bitterness in relationships, performance and appeasing others, just constantly on that rat race or that hamster wheel of, of appeasing, um, doing what other people need because you, you aren't able to be connected to what you need. Projecting onto others, depression can be common more likely to develop cancer. Um, this is one of the research pieces in that book, When the Body Says No, um, cancer, there are several cancers that they have found to be uh, directly connected to emotional repression in childhood and adulthood, not feeling the emotions, not having access to that and just living above it all and the body then going on to develop cancer. 
which is just devastating. Use habits and addictions instead of your passions to fill you up. Your passions and your the things that you love and that you enjoy in an embodied, holistic way. Um, those things you, you, you don't have access to because you're just driven by these habits and sometimes addictions. Life passing you by, not being able to be in the moment, missing out on the goodness all around. And several of these are the same. And the last one about not being able to slow down, the repercussions of not being able to slow down, because like we said, slowing down and embodiment is intimately connected. Uh, being controlled by emotions and dysregulation, those things driving you versus you driving you. Uh, discontentment, it's really hard to live a disembodied life. It feels crappy. And then being driven by that either sympathetic or shut down, those two of the dysregulated states that we enter and, and experience as humans. But when we're disembodied, we're usually there all the time. We usually camp out there and live a life there. And it's, it's extremely um, uncomfortable, unpleasant, and um, just not how humans were designed to live. So the extent that we experience embodiment is directly related to our regulation capacity. And so we've talked about regulation in all of them and how there's three different states of the nervous system. Safe and social is the regulated state and then sympathetic is fight or flight, that's our activated state. And then shutdown is our state where we kind of collapse into ourselves and the body starts shutting down in an attempt to protect us. And so if we are disembodied, um, I, I'll take, I'll go the other way around. If we are in those defensive states of the nervous system, those survival states, sympathetic and shut down, we do not have access to being deeply embodied because those states, the very nature of them is to be um, in a survival posture. And that's not embodiment. That's the opposite of embodiment. And so it's not that we don't visit those states. It's not that we don't experience that. Every human experiences the different shifting through states, nervous system states. Um, that's just completely normal and healthy. But when we live in those states, when we, we kind of get stuck in those states and we're chronically there, we then um, cannot experience embodiment. So there's, again, that direct, direct connection between what our state is and then how we engage in the world because of what state we're in. Well said. We always pay a price when we try to live disembodied lives. The grief, anxiety, fear, or heartache we won't let ourselves feel will come out in other ways. And I was just listening to a podcast yesterday. I was just talking about how it comes out in pain sometimes. Um, it comes out in illness. Our bodies remember these, these things. Our bodies want us to process them. They invite us. And if we don't listen, it tries harder and harder to get our attention. And I think, you know, it's easy to look at that, especially I've had a chronic illness journey for many, many years. And when I started to realize that my body was communicating, um, there's this very ambivalent uh, feeling of like anger and right. almost you feel betrayed that your body's quote harmed you in that way. And then on the other hand, there's like this awe and honoring, if you can feel access to that, uh, just that invitation to honor your body because it knew first. 
before you your intellectual understanding of psychology and healthy families and trauma, before all that caught up to your brain to know, wow, this is not okay, what happened to me and my body's not showing me. Before your brain knew that, your body knew yeah. years before, decades before. And just to honor that, but also to wrestle through like that feeling of betrayal that your body allowed such harm, whether it be anxiety or addictions or physical um, physical conditions or pain. Uh, you know, it's a mixed, it's a mixed feeling. And we help people work through those feelings of ambivalence towards what their bodies have done because yeah. it's amazing and it's devastating all at the same time. It really is. And it also when we're taught that anxiety is bad or that depression is bad or that pain is bad, when we're yeah. taught these things, then we feel like those are betrayals. But when we're able, and that's why I, going back to my fire alarm analogy, um, why I go back to that is when we hear a fire alarm, we don't, it's annoying, but we don't, we don't get mad at that. We don't get annoyed with that. We know that it's trying to do something to help us. So if we can shift our perspective that our body isn't betraying us, our body is trying to get our attention to show us that there's, there's a threat, there's, there's danger, there's something that's, that's hurt. When we can see that, then we can see the wisdom of our body. We talked about the beginning. That's the wisdom of our body. It's known for years that there is something here that it need, we need to work through and we need to heal from. And it's try to get our attention. And this is just another attempt of that. But it is hard. It is not easy to see that, especially as it's taken, brought a lot of emotional, relational, physical pain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it often requires a journey through grief yep. um, because of what's been lost. And it Absolutely. really, really deserves to be honored and grieved because in an ideal world, the body wouldn't have to do this. Right. In an ideal world, our needs would have been met. We would have been loved and nurtured and kept safe and harm wouldn't have come to us. And right. so the grief process that we walk people through is this really significant and that we've, we've also walked through ourselves. Yes, absolutely. When we deny our emotions, it owns us. Most of us were not taught how to recognize pain, to name it, and be with it. But we now know, we know now, sorry, but what we know now is that when we deny our emotion, it owns us. When we own our emotion, we can rebuild and find our way through the pain. So just like, yeah, last uh, webinar, Lauren shared about an analogy of a river, a boat, and some paddles. Um, the river is kind of the life, the boats are nervous system, and we can learn how to navigate life and help the nervous system navigate it through learning how to control or direct or partner with our nervous system. And I think this quote summarizes that nicely. It's, it's without, the, without the paddles, those emotions just carry our, our nervous system wherever it wills. But once we learn to own our emotions, to partner with our emotions, that's when we can get access to those oars of that boat and can direct through and navigate through those emotions in life and realize that we're not powerless. Mm. 
So we love this poem, The Guest House by Rumi. We have it on our wall in our counseling office, and we just want to take a minute and share it with you. The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight, the dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. We love that idea of our bodies being a guest house. And while we're not dismissing the pain, and I don't think he is either of saying like, meet each one with laughter. Uh, It's just an invitation to reframe our orientation to emotions that feel hard and unbearable. And when we, like Pillar One says, allow them in and accept them as part of the journey, they're part of our stories. And they're not so threatening as they feel. We allow them to come in. Um, We can learn so much from these feelings that we've had to survive, had to push to the sides and had to bury and had to ignore. And um, really that, that hospitality, we mentioned in the slowing down, like finding a hospitality with self so that we can slow down and get to know ourselves and connect with ourselves. Uh, parts of us that we have been hiding for years. And it really is uh, terrifying and also just a beautiful invitation to live more embodied. So we introduced you to an acronym um, in the last one called PAUSE. And this is a practice and conceptual idea of how to slow down, which completely connects to being more embodied. So pacing ourselves, the P is for pace. The A is for a tune, a tuning into the inner world and what our body is showing us. Understanding these messages, learning to interpret these messages. Like Luke was saying, like the pain and the things that come out, understanding them for what they are, not as a punishment, not as beating our bodies up, the anxiety not to torment us, but to to invite us to something different, to show us that something is off and needs our, our help and our tending to. And then the S is for learning to say no and say yes to the things that we need that are life-giving and to put up those boundaries to the things that really harm us or deplete us or that we don't have emotional bandwidth for. And the E is embody. So as we pace, attune, understand, say no and yes, we find ourselves living this more embodied um, life, this embodied way of engaging in the world. So we can connect more deeply to self through three primary ways. There are certainly other ways, but these are three primary ways of connecting through our physical body. And we'll talk just in a minute on some practical ways to do that. But our physical body, while we are spirit or soul, we are also body and they're not separate. They're, they're, they're so close as to even saying they're one. And so when we connect to our body, we're connecting to our self, our true essence, who we we are. And then others, humans are undeniably 
relational and interconnected. And we actually can learn so much about ourselves and our longings and what we care about and who we are through connection with another person. And that interconnectedness um, has just such an amazing way of digging down deeper into who, who we are as a person. So we can live more embodied through these healthy, safe, life-giving relationships. And then nature. Nature is um, also probably as unique of a way as connecting with humans. Nature is this whole landscape, literally and figuratively, of a world where we can um, explore and tap into our senses and what it feels like to be human and what it feels like to receive the goodness of, of life around us. So nature, you know, everyone does that differently, but there's so many different ways where we can connect to nature that really help us to become more embodied. You wanna do this one, Han? Sure. So some benefits of living embodied. So you can be full of peace and have that inner freedom. You don't have to be afraid of what's going on in the inner world. Uh, knowing what you want, having that voice, having direction, having agency, you can communicate those needs. And not only do you know what you need, but you then can communicate them. Uh, you're able to be in the moment, just be present. You're able to slow down, not driven by that sympathetic energy, stronger sense of self, less, less driven by emotions. We said a few slides ago, uh, when we, I we, uh, can't exactly remember it, but the, the, our emotion, letting our emotions own us versus us owning our emotions. When our emotions own us, they drive us. Uh, more accepting of life. You're able to uh, be more content, see the beauty in life, a stronger sense of, uh, stronger self-regulation. So you have more stability in that. Able to heal trauma, recover from pain. So you have less pain, lower blood pressure. Uh, you can even sleep better. Uh, your, your GI issues um, heal and recover, go away. Addictions, you don't need the addiction. You have access to self-regulation, uh, to embodiment, and you don't have to live that disembodied life helps depression, anxiety, OCD. Savor the pleasures of life. You're more empathetic for yourself and for the people around you. As you become more embodied, you start understanding yourself and why you do the things you do, and also why other people do the things that they do. Uh, deeper connection with others, access to feel good emotions. That's uh, just some of them, but just think about that access to all to some of these to growing amounts of these like mm -hmm. not like just a download of all of these once you get to a point you start getting more and more access to some of these and then deeper access to some of these and then more access to other ones so it's a process it's a journey and we always talk about just identifying those glimmers we need to identify those glimmers because that's also what helps perpetuate the, the continued progress so here's some things ways to speak to your body and as I read these, I just encourage you just, just put your hands on your chest, just hold yourself, be present, be embodied. And if you wanna read these to yourself, 
as I read them or say these to yourself as, as, I, as you hear them, as you speak to your body. Thank you for supporting me. You can take up as much space as you need. Thank you for that feedback you're giving me. I wanna to listen to what you have to tell me. You're worthy of good things. You can untangle the pain that is wound up inside of you. I'll keep you safe. And part of embodiment is not just noticing. How does that feel? What do you notice happening? Do you notice shifting? Do you feel uncomfortable? Do you feel anxious? Just be with that, just notice it, just name it. And let's be safe for that. Don't judge it, just have compassion, be curious. Listen to that wisdom. Living in another country, you learn about language and it takes time to speak the language. So as your body's talking to you, it might take some time to learn the language that it's speaking, how to interpret accurately, how to understand the, the meaning behind it. Just be patient with yourself. If you're in process, you're on a journey, and it's okay to be where you're at. When we are aware of and attend to our bodies, our body sensations, we are practicing embodiment. So sometimes we think it's really complicated, but if you just practice that little thing with me, any part of it, you practice embodiment. It's simple, not always easy, but it's simple. So we are just about to wrap up. Just wanted to share, um, that there are practices that you can do. Uh, a lot of times you'll hear these called somatic practices. Um, and this quote here, embodiment practices, again, somatic practices is a, a good substitute for that. Use the body as a tool for healing through self-awareness, mindfulness, connection, self-regulation, finding balance, and creating self-acceptance. And so there's so many different types of somatic or embodiment practices um, and really finding what feels good for you and what resonates with your body is the, is the key. So some things can be mindfulness, yoga, dance, progressive relaxation, rounds, which is something we, we do in our signature program. There's several different ways to tune into your body with these practices and they can all be really, really powerful. So we just wanna invite you to explore and find which ones work for you. And it's kind of like a little bit like Luke said, learning a new language. It's really clumsy at first and it feels a little bit awkward because again, we're so used to staying in our cognition in our intellect and not dropping down into our bodies. And so um, exploring these practices, it doesn't need to be long. It doesn't need to be, you know, take up your, half a day or it's just um, that that attunement getting down into your body and being aware of your sensations and these practices can just help facilitate that there's no magic in the practice itself it's that the practice is facilitating you reconnecting to that wisdom of your body so here is our five pillars we just completed our last pillar of embodiment and as we learn to accept our reality, pillar of one, seek beauty, pillar two, cultivate self-compassion, pillar three, slow down, 
we become more embodied. And, and being embodied also gives us more access to the other pillars, which all yield a deeper level of nervous system regulation, which ultimately leads to healing in the body. So as you can see, they're all interdependent on each other and um, really cultivate uh, a lot of the healing and wholeness that we long for in our lives. So thank you for listening uh, about those pillars. It's really a joy to share those with you. Absolutely. And we'll just share uh, again, if that's your first time, we, we uh, offer three different ways of working with us. Uh, the signature program is the first one where you can work with me and Lauren at um, either three months or six months. And that's where we address trauma healing and brain retraining. So if you're um, experiencing trauma, you know you have trauma, but you're also experiencing maybe uh, physical symptoms, autoimmune diseases, uh, anxiety, depression, and that one might be um, uh, a program for you. But we also also offer where I work with individuals for trauma healing or couples for trauma healing, and that can again be for three to six months. Um, but if you don't feel like you have three to six months, we also offer intensive where you'd be working with me for like two and a half days, intensely working on things and um, digging deep, getting that jump start, uh, and launching you forward in that in that um, journey of healing. And we also are offering, as we just launched a few weeks ago, some special offerings for that uh, Flourish signature program where you work with me and Lauren. Um, there's only a few spaces left there where you can have 30% off. And then in that intensive where you just work with me for two and a half days, there's also um, limited spots there left for 30% uh, off on that package as well. All right. Thanks, Luke. We um, are wrapping up now. Thank you so much for joining us for finding your way back to embodiment. We hope it's really meaningful for you. And now we'll do our Q&A. While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.